Good morning. Uh, like folks have said so far, my name is Sarah Estrada, if we have yet to meet. And I am so grateful to be able to call um, you all my family, to call Discovery my church home community. So great to be here, just from a different angle. <laughs> Uh, so I moved to Sonoma County uh, for school. I went to Sonoma State University starting in 2014, and I've been here ever since uh, in the county. I got my BA in Global Studies, and now I'm on my sixth year of full-time ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, InterVarsity is an organization that just loves the college campus, and I love the college campus, and I love college students. And it's a joy and an honor uh, to be able to be a part of students' lives and such, such an integral point in their life. Uh, so another thing that you may or may not know about me is that one of the things that I've struggled with the most in my life, in different ways, uh, I've struggled with fear. And so I just wanted to start the morning by showing you kind of an embarrassing video of one of the scariest moments in my life. But let me set the stage for you. I studied abroad in South Korea my junior year of college, and I had just gotten home after a year. So I am exhausted, I am jet lagged, and I am fast asleep. Let's see what my mom did to me. I have, I have forgiven her, yes, someone asked. <laughs> we, I don't know why I closed my, put my hands in front of my face. I don't know. I thought that maybe, oh, maybe somebody broke into the house or they lived in Texas. So I was like, maybe there's a tornado. But no matter what the threat was, this was not going to save me. <laughs> but that's what I did. Uh, but there have been other times in my life where I've been really afraid. Like I had my driver's permit for two years because I was afraid of driving. I don't remember my first earthquake because I blacked out in panic. And even now, uh, even though I've been in full-time ministry for, you know, going on six years now, almost, almost, almost every single time I get a chance to have a spiritual conversation with somebody, you remember my face. I feel like that. Uh, but let me tell you a story about my friend Erica. My friend Erica is from San Diego, but we met uh, while I was studying abroad, or while we were studying abroad in Korea. Now, I knew that Erica didn't believe in God, and she knew that I did, not that I talked about it. But this one day, I went to go um, and pick up Erica at her dorm. I knock on the door, and she opens it, and I can see inside there's a desk. And on her desk, there's a giant Bible opened up on the table. And I was like, Erica, are you reading the Bible? And she said, oh, yeah, like my friend, I have a friend named Anna, she's a Christian too, and she knew I was having a hard time, so she ex uh, suggested that I read the Bible. And I was like, and you did it? <laughs> that's so cool, like that's amazing. Okay, but then she kept going. Then she said, yeah, like my friend Anna talks a lot more about her faith. She's a lot more open than you. You're not open, and it's weird. 
but I was afraid. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only one. I think for most people that spiritual conversations can be some of the scariest that we ever have. If you're following Jesus, we're afraid that those conversations can be awkward, that will push people away. We're afraid of rejection. And if you don't know Jesus, it's scary to admit that you have questions about things that are bigger than yourself. It's scary to admit the places where you feel pain, where you have hope and fear. And I think that spiritual conversations are scary because they matter to us. Like, they're important. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're just here checking things out, it's true that a spiritual conversation isn't just opening up a Bible, but it's opening up your life and your process, and that's really scary. So this morning, we're going to look at one pretty crazy spiritual conversation uh, with this guy named Philip. Uh, the scripture that we're going to live in today is Acts 8, 26 to 40. Uh, but I just want to share my hopes for the day. My hope is that you are encouraged or challenged in the word, and I'm hoping that you can learn a little bit more about InterVarsity and all that God is doing on campus. Uh, so let me just pray before we jump in. Holy Spirit, we just believe that you are here in this room. So would you be the one who is speaking in each heart? Would you open our hearts to receive what you want to give us? Amen. Okay, so Acts 8. Uh, some context for you is that the book of Acts is all about the development of the early church. At this point, Jesus has already been crucified, he is risen, and then in Acts 1.8, he tells his disciples, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and in the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. <laughs> By the time we get to Acts 2, for the first time in history, the Spirit of God pours out into all of the followers of Jesus, and the literal presence of God lives in his people. And the first part of that promise is fulfilled. But, the, but then we get to Acts 8, and we see this really interesting duality start to come out. Because on one hand, there's, uh, we've seen the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen, and in Acts 8.1, it says, like, on that day, that day that Stephen died, that a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. However, as the follower of Jesus are scattered about, they're spreading the gospel everywhere they go. So on one hand, there's this grief and disarray and kind of chaos but the power of the Holy Spirit is with them and the gospel is going with them everywhere that they go. One of those guys who was scattered was a guy named Philip. He flees into Samaria where these whole villages begin to follow Jesus. There's energy, excitement. Uh, some commentaries call it a revival. And then God sends, somewhere, sends Philip somewhere new. Let's see where he sends him. In Acts 8.26, it 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I lost my note, but I can tell you. <laughs> oh, there we go. I think that if I'm Philip, I'm thinking that the Lord is kind of crazy. This is an absurd request. You're going to send me from this town where all these people are starting to follow Jesus, and now you're going to send me to a desert road that leads to nowhere? Well, leads to a deserted place. However, Philip might be confused, but he trusts God. He's attuned to the Holy Spirit's voice, and he's open to his direction. And he's going to go where God is sending him. In verse 27, Philip obeys. It says, so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone from Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then... Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. So this is another absurd request <laughs> from God. First, go to a deserted road, to a desert road. But Philip is obedient. And next we hear Philip Go run beside that chariot. So Philip is running beside a chariot. And this guy is an Ethiopian high official. He probably has, like, security people <laughs> around his chariot. He's looking a little ridiculous. I also appreciate that God doesn't give him the whole story. That with every instruction, he just gives him the next step. So Philip is probably confused like, okay, I'll go to the road, but what am I looking for? And okay, I'll run by this chariot, but why do you have me here? And notice that when Philip hears the man reading Isaiah, that God doesn't tell him what to do next. However, I think that Philip knows that God sent him there. He's not sure what to expect, but he expects that God's going to do something so Philip's spiritual eyes are peeled, and he's watchful, looking around to see what God is going to do. And I think he does something amazing and simple in order to figure out what that is. He asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Let's see how our Ethiopian high official friend responds. In verse 31. How can I, he said, how can I understand? How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Can you feel the urgency and the longing in that question? Like, how can I understand? unless someone explains it to me. And this makes sense. 
Philip, in this moment, he doesn't know it at the time. However, this Ethiopian high official has traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his journey back. He's from Ethiopia, which at this time is more like present-day Sudan. It's about a 1,400, 1,500-mile journey. It might have taken him about five months. And he goes that whole journey to worship in Jerusalem. And even on the way back, he's still reading scripture. He's still reading Isaiah. Can you imagine what it's like to travel all that way and find no one to answer your question? And so the Ethiopian man invites him to come and sit and talk with him in his chariot. And they have a spiritual conversation. So in verse 32, this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so did he not open, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He finally gets an answer to his question. <laughs> finally. And even more than that, he got more than an answer to his question because Philip, starting with that scripture, he gets to tell him about Jesus. He gets to say, let me tell you about this guy that I know. I might be scattered here. I might not have a home to go back to, but let me tell you about this Jesus that I know. He tells him the good news about Jesus. Okay, are you ready to see what's next? <laughs> so now, remember, this conversation is still happening in a chariot. The chariot is going along the road. It says as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he gave orders, stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again. But went on his way rejoicing. <laughs> Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So this Ethiopian man goes from yearning and desperate to rejoicing. He's baptized in water, literally on the side of the road. Talk about an encounter with God. Am I right? <laughs> and Philip is literally teleported away into another city where he continues to preach the gospel. If I were the Ethiopian eunuch, I might have had some questions about where that guy went <laughs> that I just talked to, but he doesn't say anything. He just goes on rejoicing, and that's it. That's how powerful his encounter with God was. And how good is God in this story to have seen the spiritual longing of this Ethiopian high ruler and to have, he's one guy. He took Philip from all of these villages where there were tons of people and he sent Philip 
to go to the right place at the right time, to have a conversation with a man that he would never see again. But it changed his life. This is the beginning of that fulfillment in Acts 1.8. Jesus promising that they would be his witnesses not only in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. So there's a lot that you could take away from this story, but I want to highlight just one thing. And that's that the follower of Jesus' role when it comes to spiritual conversations is primarily discovering what God is already doing. That Philip isn't bringing the presence of God to somewhere where God has not been. God's already there. God has been drawing in this Ethiopian man to himself. He's been on this journey. He's been crafting this story. And he's grafting Philip into it just for a moment. And Philip is following the Spirit's leading, trusting and believing that God is at work. Even if he doesn't know what to expect, he's got his eyes peeled and he's looking around for where God is working. So coming back to fear in spiritual conversations, for me, it's always there. But if my role is primarily discovery, discovering what God's already doing, that lifts burden. That lifts fear. Like my faithfulness matters. But it's God who's drawing people to himself. And it's actually God's grace that I get to be invited in to be a part of somebody else's spiritual journey, to be a part of what God is already doing in their life. I want to connect this to campus. Uh, in InterVarsity, we, uh, just like here, we believe that the spirit is already working on campus. And at a four-year university, most students are entering, they're 17, 18 years old. Do you remember that time of your life? <laughs> You're on your own for the first time, away from your family and your support systems. And you're figuring out who you are and what you believe. Uh, there was a, a Barna study in 2019 that talked about, uh, found that the median age where faith changed or significantly altered was age 22. So there's openness, there's potential. And at the same time, students increasingly report anxiety and depression, isolation. They're yearning for Jesus and, in, and the abundant life that he offers, even if they don't know it. And so InterVarsity is an accessible community where students can come and find belonging and hope and life in Christian community. And they don't have to travel 1,400 miles to get their question answered. Because we have Bible studies in the dorms. Uh, we have Bible studies on athletic teams and in the music department. Our students are right there journeying with people just like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Our vision is to see students and faculty transformed, campuses renewed, and world changers developed in response to Jesus' love, grace, and truth. And this year, like right now, we have an amazing team of eight small group leaders. Um, and you get to hear from one of them. Uh, so I'm going to invite up Blake.
Blake is uh, one of our uh, athlete leaders. He actually also supports some of our athlete small group leaders. Um, and so you don't have to just hear it from me. You get to hear from Blake about what the Holy Spirit is doing in him and through him on campus. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, guys. So yeah, like I said, my name is Blake Janowitz. I'm a grad student at Sonoma State University. I play baseball for the Seawolves. Um, at the, yeah, let's go. Thank you. <laughs> um, at the end of last spring, I was actually getting ready to graduate with my undergrad, and um, I had to give a speech to the other graduating seniors uh, that were in the athletic department. And I was trying to reflect on what I really learned uh, in college, like off the field, outside of the classroom, just for the, the other student athletes out there. But what I really remembered was something my dad actually said to me growing up. Growing up, and especially playing baseball, my dad would always tell me that I was like a puzzle piece. And I had to figure out how I fit into baseball teams and in God's great plan. Growing up in Orange County, I felt like I was always in this neat little puzzle, which had nice cut edges and it was very predictable. I grew up in a household going to church every Sunday, Bible studies every Wednesday, volunteering in the church, did the whole thing. Um, and from early as I can remember through high school, everyone I was around, school, baseball, church, all thought and acted the same way I did. But I would soon figure out that that neat little puzzle piece that I thought I looked like can look a million different ways, whether big or small, curved or straight. Um, but no matter what it looked like, it was essential for it to complete the puzzle. Um, I ended up going to Sonoma State my freshman year um, where that bubble that I grew up in popped. I was 500 miles away from my family, even further from my nearest friend who went to a different college. Um, I was placed in a random dorm with eight other guys who all thought and believed different things than I did. Um, discussions quickly came up about drugs, alcohol, girls, and it was like clear that this was not the place that I should be. Um, I just felt terrible, and I didn't really connect with anyone in the dorms. Um, turn the page. <laughs> didn't really connect with anybody in the dorms, and I uh, didn't feel close with any of my teammates on the team. I didn't really have trouble um, connecting with people, making friends in that way, um, either in school or on the team. I just didn't have that core group of people that I can really rely on with anything. Um, I know, or I had no idea what my puzzle piece looked like in college, or what the puzzle was, what the puzzle was even supposed to look like. I was lost without a community uh, for support, and I really felt separated. I couldn't remember the last time I went to church, or even wanted to, um, and that lost time and separation really affected my relationship with God. Then one of my teammates fortunately texted in our baseball group chat about a small group he was holding in a varsity. <laughs> I asked him about it at practice and it was, he said it was a super chill time where we just hang out, talk about verses and hang out. It sounded like the place to be for me. Um, when I went that uh, day after practice, the small group was about three or four other guys who I didn't really talk to on the team. Um, but those guys ended up being my closest friends and roommates the next year. Um, as time passed, I went to more Bible studies and started cultivating deeper relationships with some of my teammates. My relationship with God was also strengthening. After COVID last year, and things started slowly getting back uh, together, I got the opportunity to actually lead the baseball team. And this year, I had the opportunity to coach this year's baseball and softball small group leaders and <laughs> be able to lead another small group uh, for other students in the athletic department who don't have their own small group uh, on their team yet. So a lot is going on. Yeah. Through all this time, I've really grown closer uh, to my teammates since that initial Bible study. It was a place to connect and come as the crazy student athletes that we were and talk about the craziness of our lives off the field. Um, since then, I've grown and become more and more comfortable with talking with others uh, on my team and around me that think differently than I do. 
one of the things I've incorporated with our weekly uh, Bible studies and like a little weekly application or challenge is to have um, each person ask their teammate what their spiritual background was. Um, I, uh, excuse me. Yeah, I've used this with our weekly conversations uh, with one of my coaches who's agnostic, and uh, we just share our different perspectives on life. Uh, last year, we were in San Bernardino uh, playing them for baseball, and me and him, my coach, uh, sat in the lobby for like two hours just talking about life and my perspective with Christianity and him and his, him discussing his life experiences and just seeing how I can connect that with Christianity and, and his thoughts about it. It was just so powerful because the question, what is your spiritual background, brings no judgment or opinions, just understanding and love for a friend you're trying to learn more about. I challenged a member of uh, all my athletes small group, a women's track and field player, to ask her teammates or coaches what their spiritual background was. She asked her coach that week and found out that her coach was Christian too and is actually looking for a church in the area to go to. Uh, the athlete then offered that her coach go with her and a couple of teammates on the team. That's actually insane to me. Like I couldn't <laughs> imagine just going up to my head coach and be like, church Sunday, let's go. <laughs> insane. What's more, right now the baseball team is absolutely exploding with the Holy Spirit. The baseball small group has always has at least eight guys on the team coming right after practice every Wednesday and growing in their relationship with God and each other. Last week, two guys rededicated their lives to Christ. Actually insane. And I know today, two more teammates who I could never see at church are actually at church right now because they see the impact that the small group is having. I never thought uh, through all these years that I'd even be able to discuss and lead in my faith like I do today. I never would have thought that I'd have the ability to talk to an entire church body like today. But uh, my teammates truly really stand as witnesses and hopefully can say how much of an impact my faith has had and that they've had an impact on me. Um, it took three years and a little bit of COVID, but I found my puzzle piece on that team and for college. I found the puzzle piece God wanted me to be on. I went from feeling alone and separated from, uh, from community to finding one and now cultivating one. Um, that's just a little bit about me, what the Holy Spirit is doing through me and in the athletic department at SSU. I just want to thank all of you for listening to me and uh, just continued prayers for the athletic department. Thank you. Yeah, so lastly, just three quick things. One, we just want to say thank you. Uh, InterVarsity got to be a part of the legacy giving last year. Uh, many of you pray and give and make food <laughs> so that uh, students at Sonoma State uh, can have this accessible community where they can experience love um, and explore faith. So I just, we just want to say thank you uh, for being a part of that already. Um, and just like two last little challenges. Um, one, if you are, like if you yourself are seeking and exploring in your faith, and if you have questions I just want to leave you with the fact that God sees you and he wants to meet with you. He sent Philip from a populated place to this one guy and he wants to do the same for you. And perhaps there are even people in this room that would love to journey together with you. And uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, if God is doing this on campus, couldn't he do it in the communities that you are a part of? At your in your neighborhood, at your kids, in at your kids' schools, at your school, at your workplace. And so I have a very specific challenge for you, um, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. 
What if you did like the athletes and like our students on campus and just ask someone, do you have a spiritual background at all? With curiosity and love and just see if God is at work there. See where the conversation takes you. Perhaps you could experience, like Blake gets to, the honor and the joy of being a part of someone else's spiritual journey.